Good morning, everybody. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Legacy. Whether you're joining us on a screen or right here in the sanctuary, so glad you decided to spend a little bit of your Sunday with us. You know, one of my favorite activities, um, really every day if I can find time for it, is reading, whether it's real books or on my iPad. I'm one of those people who, even before I make it through the pile of books on my desk, at home or in the office, I add more books to it. You think the more responsible thing to do would be to finish all the books and then buy new books, but that's not how it works. I collect new books like Lost Puppies and Kitties, and the only appropriate home is on my shelf in the office uh, or at my house. If you're in my office, do not look in the lower right cabinet because you're going to find a whole lot of books I haven't read yet. Now, even when I was in elementary school, I was a voracious reader. I loved to read. I loved summer library days. You can go once a week and check out the maximum number of books. It was like 14 books. I check out 14 books and carry that entire stack, the mile, from our house uh, to the library. And the topics were everything. There were nonfiction books on space and rocks, choose your own adventure books, uh, Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, Matilda, you named it, I read it. And I would do this throughout the whole summer. I am a fan of reading. I'm a fan of asking questions. That's why one of the reasons why when it comes to faith, I say, ask any question you've got. Explore, ask anything. And Jesus meets us in the asking, in the exploring, and in the questioning. God tells us this directly from the book of Jeremiah. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. You're going to find God in your seeking and you're asking questions. Because there are complex questions. There are complex questions that can make us evaluate what we believe and why. We regularly sing and we experience the goodness of God. Then someone we love gets cancer, has a terminal illness, and they die. Where is the goodness of God in that? We marry and expect this person to be with this person for the rest of our lives. And then one day, they want a divorce. All of our hopes, our dreams for the future are dashed. They are gone. Where is the goodness of God now? We might sit through a college religion course and we discover differing views on Genesis 1 and 2, the creation story. We learn some people believe the earth is only 6,000 years old. That's done with some calculation of all the dates in the Bible. And then you go to a geology class and science tells you the world is four and a half billion years old. So what do you do with that? Is that a contradiction? Or are we trying to get the Bible to answer stuff it was never designed to answer in the first place? Or we read a document from the US in the 1800s. And on this document, there's people using scripture to justify the practice of slavery, owning another human being verse by verse. And there's other people who use the same scripture to say, there is no way the Bible justifies slavery. Does the Bible, does this thing just mean whatever it means to whoever reads it? Or are there methods, are there tools, are there interpretations that are better, more valid, more proper than others? We watch someone online show us all the contradictions in the Bible and we wonder how or if they are resolved. We read church history and we discover that it is far from spotless. Yes, Christians have helped out in incredible ways in history, building all kinds of schools and hospitals and missions, even created the environment for science to rise in Western Europe. And Christians have served in incredible ways. And there's also crusades 
and wars and Christians killing other Christians over different modes of baptism, sprinkling or dunking. In the recent history in our region of the world, there were Native American children in Christian boarding schools beaten and killed. How does that affect what we believe? Is this really the group that I want to be associated with? We see a worldwide refugee crisis. We see immigration struggles here at home. How are we as Christians supposed to respond to that? Someone we love tells us they're gay and we evaluate what we think about human sexuality. These are just some, these are some of the questions that we struggle and deal with. Given all that has come before us, all that we experience daily, it's no surprise that many today, those in and out of the church are evaluating what they believe. For many, they are choosing to deconstruct their faith. Now this might be the first time some of you have encountered this word. I'll give you just a really simple definition. To deconstruct simply means to take apart or examine something. And we use it in the case of faith. It means to deconstruct, to examine what we believe about Jesus, God, and the church. Depending upon who you read and listen to, this is either the best thing that has ever happened in the world or this word is from uh, the devil himself. There is a huge spectrum of thought on this. Now for some, to deconstruct means you leave the faith. It means you question everything you were taught growing up and you end up deconstructing and leaving following Jesus. I think that's why some Christians hate asking questions. They hate exploring tough issues because they think if this one thing isn't what I thought it was, if this one thing wasn't it, then all of following Jesus is not true. If this one thing isn't what I thought it was, then the whole thing comes unraveled. So for some people, following Jesus is like this knit washcloth. So take, for example, the age of the earth. If, the age, if I thought the age of the earth was 6,000 years old, and then I come to find out that, no, it's 4.5 billion years old, well, if the Bible's wrong about that, then it's wrong about everything, and then your whole faith comes entirely unraveled like this knit washcloth. One question, one thing that we're not sure about, and then our entire faith comes undone just like the cloth. It can't handle just one question. So people will avoid asking any kind of questions for fear that their faith ends up like that washcloth. But friends, questions don't have to unravel your faith. Remember Jeremiah, the Lord said, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. As someone who's been a reader and a learner for a long time, who likes to ask questions and dig, it is a healthy thing. It is a good thing to evaluate what you believe and why. It can be good to deconstruct. I think faith is much more like this Jenga set than it is that knit washcloth. One question doesn't need to unravel the whole thing. If I'm really bad at Jenga, one, one tug could unravel the whole thing, but it doesn't have to. So, okay, the world might be older than I thought, so I take that belief, I pull it out and I examine it, and it goes into a new place. You've evaluated it, but it's still a part of your faith. Your faith is still there, it's together, but it's been reorganized slightly. Yes, there has been slavery and wars and all kinds of violence done in the name of Jesus, but we don't have to do that. We can go back to his original words and try to live better than some of the Christians that have gone before us. The tower still stands. My faith built in Jesus is still there. 
we might take out this piece on what we think the book of Revelation means at the end of your Bible. Book of Revelation spends a little time talking about the end times. Going to seminary in the early 2000s, I had what was a fairly popular view of the end of the world at that time. One of the views of the end of the world, there would be a rapture where all the Christians vanish in an instant, be seven years of trial and tribulation for all who were left, and then the world's destroyed and Jesus comes with the new heaven and new earth. It was made popular by the Left Behind book series in that era. Now, it made for quite a dramatic story. However, when I get to seminary, uh, that was not the majority view at all, and so I'm conflict confronted with this belief that I need to evaluate. So, I took out that piece and I examined it. Is how I think the end of the world uh, really essential to what I believe in, in my faith? No, it isn't for anyone. Jesus is essential. His return with the new heaven and new earth is essential. How it's gonna happen is a matter for debate and discussion. So I started asking questions. Why was it not the majority view in seminary? How was it constructed? When did it come about? So after I was asking questions and studying and praying and debating, that peace went to a different place in my faith. I changed what I believe. It adjusted. The belief was deconstructed, it was evaluated, and went to a different place. My faith is still there. The peace moved, but it is still in one piece. Now, no, there were others at the seminary who still kept, at the seminary anyway, that was a minority view. They disagreed. But guess what? Everyone still worshiped together, they studied together, they argued together, and they loved together. Because Jesus is essential to our faith. His life, his grace, his mercy, not the specifics of how the world's going to end. Now, it's a model for a culture, I think, that we need in the church as we move further into the 2020s. We need to create a culture that asks anything, that listens well, that freely disagrees, and that loves regardless. We can be a place where NDSU and SDSU fans can worship Jesus together, even though we know NDSU is going to clean their clocks. Now, if we want to be a place in this decade where especially new people, new people find their way to following Jesus, this is what it's going to take. Creating a place, a church, where it's okay to ask anything, to listen well, to freely disagree, and to love regardless. Now, no, when you evaluate and deconstruct a piece of your faith, it might go back in the same spot. You know, sometimes you take something out, you evaluate it, and you say, no, I, I think I'm still good with that piece. That's good to do, too, to evaluate something and say, no, I think that's okay. Because we wrestle with all kinds of things, not just on the end times. We wrestle with human sexuality. We wrestle with creation care. We wrestle, wrestle with how Christians respond to homelessness, to war, to refugees, to immigration, and just how we live our lives every day in an increasingly complex and interconnected and technological world. You know, I do understand those that really hate the word deconstruct because they connect it with destroy. People deconstruct and they destroy their faith. But you don't have to. You don't have to. You can ask questions and still follow Jesus. To take a step further with our Jenga tower, imagine a metal framework over the set to keep it in place. The framework, while you ask anything, that would be Jesus. That would be staying connected to Jesus, bringing your questions to Christ, realizing he's gonna handle any question that we've got. And also know, friends, deconstructing is not new. The book of Ecclesiastes reminds us there is nothing new under the sun. 
There is nothing new. People have been asking questions and evaluating their faith for 2,000 years. We are not the first ones. We're not the first ones to have questions about what we believe and why. It's a normal part of faith. It's a healthy part of faith. It is a maturing part of faith to ask questions and to reflect upon what we believe. Because, friends, to deconstruct does not mean to destroy something. You know, growing up, I was a fan of computers, still am. And growing up, I started to learn how these computers worked. So you'd learn about the processor, the motherboard, the memory, the floppy drive, and the CD drives when we still had physical media. And I learned and explored and deconstructed how this computer was put together. And then one time I thought, you know, I think I can put one of these together myself. I would imagine, not unlike some of you all who worked on your own cars growing up, I thought, you know what, I bet I could build one from scratch. So I ordered parts online, and I started putting together my own computer. I figured out how the heat sink sat on the processor, how the motherboard gets mounted, how to install a hard drive, put everything in the case, and so on. And sure enough, I got the computer to turn on more than once. And it served our family for a number of years based upon just some knowledge and a little trial and error. I deconstructed how a computer worked, and I reconstructed a new one. So friends, just because we choose to deconstruct something doesn't mean it has to be destroyed. You can actually come back with a more healthy and a mature, resilient, and fruitful faith. Deconstruction does not need to lead to destruction in faith. Now in this series, we're hoping to challenge you over the next couple of weeks over some of your strongly held beliefs because some of the things we believe just don't have any connection in Scripture. So don't be afraid to pull out some of your own blocks and see what you believe and why. If you find yourself today wrestling with whether or not you belong, because you've got questions and doubts and uncertainties, you wonder if you belong not just at Legacy, but at any church at all, let me assure you, you belong. Keep following Jesus. You can follow Jesus and have questions. This is what it means to have a mature faith, an examined faith, one that can provide hope and life and wholeness through Jesus, no matter what life brings your way. If you find yourself wrestling with some belief or feel like you're a skeptic today, just keep wrestling. Keep asking questions. God meets us there. The Lord said, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Jesus himself picks up the same promise. And when talking to us about prayer, he says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Asking questions, being skeptical, still searching, that's the very definition of searching for truth about God and the reality of the universe. You know, for all of us, we really hope that when times of questioning and doubt come your way, you're going to keep following Jesus. Just because you have a question does not mean your faith need to come, needs to come entirely unraveled like that washcloth. We are a part of a 2,000-year-old movement of following Jesus We've got people asking questions from the very beginning. Even while Jesus was walking the earth with them, they had questions. His first followers always had questions and they didn't always get answers. Sometimes that was easier because when they did get answers, they were even more confused than before. Now, Matthew was one of the 12 original disciples. His book, his gospel on Jesus' life, gives us the struggle, some of the struggles the disciples had in what Jesus was doing. But first, today, I want you to notice how Jesus calls them. This is Matthew chapter 4. You can follow along in your own Bible. 
on your favorite device or on the screen with me. We're going to start in verse 18 of chapter 4. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me. I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving their boats and their father behind. You know, Jesus didn't require the disciples to give their view on the creation story, the age of the earth, or whether or not the story of Jonah and the whale is based upon an actual event or just a metaphor. He didn't request their position on every single hot-button topic of the first century, like Roman occupation and how to best kick the Romans out of their lands. Jesus didn't ask them their views of the end time or what happens in communion or which mode of baptism is best. He doesn't give them a quiz, a test, or a blue book exam, like mine from graduate school that can still give me the flop sweat in the middle of the night. All Jesus said, all he said was, come and follow me. That's it. They would learn by doing, learn by living with Jesus what it means to follow him. Matthew sees the same thing in his own call story, just a couple chapters later. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Again, the same with Matthew, no test. Just come and follow me. Matthew was a tax collector, and they were despised, to put it mildly. Matthew worked for the oppressive government. He had to collect taxes from his people. And to make things worse, in order for him to live, he had to collect even more tax from his own people. And many tax collectors collected way more than they needed from their own people, so they got rich. They got rich on the backs of their own oppressed, occupied people. Matthew would have been seen as a thief, a scoundrel, a traitor, someone who didn't care about his own people, yet Jesus says, come and follow me, a Jewish rabbi. Matthew goes. This is not going to be easy for Matthew. The other Jews are not going to look favorably upon him. It's going to lead to conflict. Shouldn't Jesus have just a little bit more of a standard, a little bit more of a vetting process than a despised tax collector and some fishermen? There is no way. There is no way the disciples fully understand what it means to follow Jesus. They can't. Even when they follow him, they sometimes have no clue what he's talking about. They don't have all the answers. They don't have it all figured out. Yet Jesus says, come and follow me. Later in the story, Jesus asked Peter, who do people say I am? Peter says, you are the Messiah. And that's correct and incomplete. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah, but he's also God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh sent to put the whole world on a path to redemption and restoration. And not long after Peter gets the right answer, Peter denies Jesus, knowing Jesus, three times when he's killed. And then, after the resurrection, Peter comes back, he's restored, and he ends up being a missionary for the good news. The disciples do not always get it right. They don't always get it right. And yet Jesus works through them to bring his purposes to bear on the world. 
It is the same for us today, friends. We don't have all the answers. We don't always get it right. Yet Jesus wants to work through us to bring his purposes to bear in the world. Friends, you can follow Jesus without having it all figured out. You can follow Jesus without having it all figured out. Years ago, I had a conversation with a friend where we were discussing what does it take to cross the line? So you weren't a Christian before, but now you believe these things and so now you're a Christian. What's the essentials? What's the thing on that line that you now believe that now made you a Christian? Now for this friend, it was not one thing, it was many things. For my friend, you had to need to believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. We agreed there. And then he said, you've gotta read this particular translation of Bible. And you've got to read this particular view, have this particular view of the end times, You've got to have this particular understanding of Christianity called Calvinism. And as we talked, the list got longer and longer and longer. You had to completely have all of your stuff together before you could call yourself a Christian. And we can believe that. We can believe we've got to be entirely cleaned up and straightened up before we follow Jesus. And then once we choose to follow, we can't ask any questions that it's just all black and white. Friends, you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have it all figured out to follow Jesus. You can just start. What is essential is Jesus. With all of your questions and doubts and uncertainties and skepticism, just start. Questions are okay. They're good and healthy. They lead you to an examined and mature faith. They lead us to a deeper faith when times of deconstruction and evaluation come our way. Just like this Jenga tower grows taller as we ask questions, so does our faith. We grow closer to God and deeper in Jesus as we ask questions. You can follow Jesus without having it all figured out. Our faith does not crumble with one question. It is not a knit washcloth. Follow Jesus right where you are today. You might have so many doubts and questions, you're feeling it's a bad thing. It is not. Follow Jesus right where you are. You might be a science and a math person. You've got all kinds of questions. You've got all kinds of questions how this works. That's great. Follow Jesus right where you are. I've got questions about Jesus, though. I've got questions about the framework in our Jenga set. Is that okay? Absolutely. Follow Jesus right where you are. Start talking with God in prayer, out loud, or in the voice of your head and your heart. It might feel weird at first. Like you're talking to just the air or the cat or the dog or parrot in the room with you. But God meets us in prayer. God meets us in stillness and in silence. God said it. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. In addition to prayer, talk with other people. Talk with other people who've got a few more miles and white hair or less hair on their heads than you. Remember, you are not the first person to ask questions about Jesus, the faith, or the church. Find somebody you respect who's further down the road of faith and ask them your question. You might find an answer to your question, or you might have someone who's got the same question and they'll journey with you. They'll study with you. They'll explore that same question with you. The primary question, and the primary question you want to ask yourself when you're deconstructing, when you're evaluating, what am I seeking? What am I seeking? Am I asking questions and having doubts for a sincere hunger for truth because I want to know what God is really like 
That's awesome. Questions and doubts are always welcome here. If you're asking questions and evaluating, you will always have a place at Legacy. Are you deconstructing because it's just in fad at various moments in time? I want to distance myself from my parents. I want to distance myself from my friends at school just to be different and unique. So I listen to voices that are deconstructing and out. I'm listening to voices that are deconstructing and leaving the faith. Well, just be sure you also listen to the voices that deconstructed and stayed. There are voices who evaluated their faith and stayed. What do those voices, those who deconstructed and stayed, have to say about Jesus? Find them. Ask questions. Listen to their responses. Are you deconstructing because you're tired about being convicted about this thing or that thing in your life? The loved ones around me are telling me I have a problem, but I ignore it. I know I have a problem, but I don't deal with it. Even my prayers and the Holy Spirit tell me I need to do something, but I just bury it. When Jesus, your loved ones, and people you care deeply about tell you something is wrong, listen to them. Listen. When there is a chorus of love telling you that you have got to change direction for your own health and wellness and wholeness, it is likely true. It's likely true, and Jesus is getting your attention through them. You know, if you want to leave Christianity, if you want to deconstruct and go out, you're going to find a reason. You're going to find a reason on social media. You're going to find a reason in church history. You're going to find a reason in the failures of leadership of pastors and staff today in the world. But, but you're also going to give up the true meaning and purpose and joy God made you for. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. If your goal is the truth, you will find God in the searching, the seeking, and the asking of questions. So today, don't wait. Don't wait until you've got it all figured out to follow Jesus. The disciples didn't wait. They went. If you find yourself a skeptic or someone with lots of questions, start following Jesus today. Begin the journey with all kinds of people throughout time and history that started with questions and doubts. I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes with me as we close in a time of prayer. Today, you're invited to start that journey with Jesus wherever you are. Whatever doubts you've got, whatever questions you've got, if it's your desire, I encourage you to repeat this simple prayer with me. You can say it under your breath. You don't have to say it out loud. You can just say it in the voice of your head and heart too. Jesus, I have questions. I have doubts. I choose to follow you anyway. Help me to find you in my searching. Lord Jesus, in the busy and hectic and crazy days we live, may we take moments to be with you, the one who loves us deeply, who wants us to bring all of us to you, all of our doubts, all of our questions, all of our hopes and dreams, all of us to you without a filter. May we go encouraged. May we go empowered into a new week with you, with all of our questions and doubts, because it's in your mercy, it's in your grace, it's in your love we find our hope. It's in your resurrected name we pray together. Amen.